This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast and the first of the Premier League season. I'm your host, Sam Carroll, and today I'm joined by Adam Jones, Phil Kirkbride and Dave Prentice as we look back on what was a successful opening day for Everton and Rafael Benitez in his first competitive game in charge at Goodison Park. Lads, all three years were there, so I'll open this one out to the floor, but a very different feeling, I'd imagine, when the final whistle went to how you must have been feeling at half-time. Phil, I'll come to you. You were there for the majority of games last season, home and away. 1-0 down at half-time. What was your thoughts? Fearful. Um, going behind full stop, never mind at half-time. When Southampton scored, I was thinking the worst because... As we all know, I think it was only West Brom at home in the first home game of last season. Ultimately, they went down to ten men. I think that was the only game last season where we, or, you know, where we came back in the league from having conceded the first goal to win a game. Yeah, got our noses in front last season, and everybody knows how well we were able to defend and hold on to points. I think something ridiculous like fifty-one of the fifty-five points we got were taken when we'd gone in front. So that was never that's never really been a concern over the last 12 months. It's been able to respond. And I think the key has been having the, the setup and the players, especially at home, to be able to respond to going behind. So yeah, at half time I was I was concerned. We played well for 20 minutes, but Michael McKean's mistake obviously in the goal changed the whole mood, didn't it? And um it was obviously there was there was booze at half time as well. So you were fearful. But you know, a huge credit to the manager and to the players. A couple of tactical tweaks, subtle as they were, but had big impact. And you know, Richarlison's goal coming what five minutes after the uh, after the restart was was really helpful, wasn't it? And to be honest, you know, Everton were, were well worthy of the win, weren't they? Could have been four, could have been five. You could argue, you know, Alex will be going through at the end and uh, <laughs> fluffing his lines, but. No, fearful at half-time, but thoroughly deserved victory uh, after the 90 minutes. How much credit, Adam, as Phil pointed out there, do you think the, the new manager, Rafael Benitez, deserved for the for the 45-minute turnaround? I, th- I think he deserves quite a lot of credit, to be honest, because as Phil said, you know, the, the atmosphere had kind of changed a little bit. You know, he walked onto the Goodison Park pitch, and I think, you know, maybe a, a few people inside the stadium. I know I was. I was, I was very interested to see what sort of reaction that he was going to get from the supporters when he walked onto the pitch but you know as he said after the after the game he was advised to go and do that by people at the club and they, they advised them spot on because you know from where we were sat in the main stand it was all generally just a huge ovation for him massive round of applause massive cheers we didn't hear any boos from where we were sat uh, i know a couple of people said they might have heard like one or two boos but you know that's that's by the by, isn't it? And you know, he, he was generally, generally accepted very warmly by the Goodison Park crowd. But you know, it was very, a very different sort of thing when it, when the players were walking off the pitch at half time. And I think, you know, when you look back over the course of last season, you know, I know we didn't have uh, full stadiums last season. We only had a couple of games where there were any fans in in the stadium at all last season. But we all know how bad Everton's home form was last season. It was absolutely imperative that Rafa Benitez didn't start off on a, on a bad foot in terms of his home form. He needed to try and put that behind him as quickly as possible, try and put, you know, get his players in the right sort of mindset of, you know, we need to make Goodison Park a, a bit more of a fortress again. So 
you know, as Phil said, you know, they were only slight little tactical changes, you know, moving Richarlison inside, moving Damari Gray out uh, onto the onto the flank and switching the centre-back around as well, which I thought was quite an interesting little tactical change. But, yeah. You know, it, it, it instantly rejuvenated the side to give the side a little bit more purpose. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, the the words of encouragement that he would have had a, a, in his half-time team talk would have had this effect as well. But you know, the, the players really came out uh, revitalised for that second half. So I do think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And, you know, obviously the players deserve a, a huge amount of credit as well for the for the effort that they put in over the course of the 90 minutes. Because, you know, when you when you look back at the, over that 90 minutes, now we add that maybe 25-minute spell, I suppose, where Southampton were on top, you would say, but didn't really create many chances apart from the goal that they scored. Everton dominated the other 70 minutes, as Phil quite rightly says, could have scored four or five on another day. So all in all, you've got to say that was a really, really successful and promising first home game for Rafa Benitez. Preno, I was in the uh, the Black Horse on County Road after the game on Saturday and quite a few people came to me and asked me what you're like in real life. So I had to point <laughs> out how miserable you are. Put them on the right steer. You mean this isn't real life, what we're doing now? Is, is <laughs> just a face on strange, screen. surreal. <laughs> Not what you look like. Right, okay. <laughs> but uh, it's been a on and off the field. I'd say it's been a, a, a roller coaster summer uh, yeah. for Rafa Benitez since, and for Everton fans as well, in fairness, since... You know, the last day of the season, starting kind of with the departure of Carlo Ancelotti. How, yeah. kind of, from the feeling that you gauged maybe after the game, how important was it to get that win, to come from behind? Everyone seemingly, maybe, being a little bit harsh, everyone except Michael Keane, maybe, came out yeah. of the game in, in good favour with good performances. It, it just gave us that little, uh, that little booster shot, so to speak, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, we said last week, didn't we, that we thought it was absolutely imperative that, you know, so Benitez got off to a winning start uh, just to try and convince, you know, so any doubters out there that, you know, it was uh, an intelligent move by the football club. Um, I don't know whether you, know, you could say it was absolutely vital, but clearly it was very, very important. I think sometimes we're a little bit misled, aren't we, by, you know, so we spend our lives an awful lot on social media because of the way that we get our stories out there nowadays. And it can be a very unrelentingly negative, uh, you know, so forum at times. And so, you know, we went into the football stadium on uh, on Saturday a little bit apprehensive as to what kind of reception Rafa would get. And totally agree with Adam, you know, what he said there. I mean, a, a couple of my mates were on the street end and they said there were a couple of like boos around, around them, but they were certainly so isolated that I never witnessed them from the middle of the main stand. I mean, it was absolutely seemed like a uniformly... Uh, you know, 100% positive response. I thought it was a bold decision uh, by the club to actually bring him out onto the pitch and to introduce him. But why wouldn't you? You know, so he's a new manager that you are convinced is absolutely the right person to do the right job for you. And so, you know, so why, why not do that? Uh, and he does deserve an awful lot of credit. I think, what was the stat I saw from uh, our good friend Bradley on EFC Stato? He said, we scored three second half goals, which if you combine the last 16 first uh, second half appearances under Carlo Ancelotti at Goodison Park uh, that still outscores you know those final 16 games you know you know combined it was just like a bizarre statistic and underlined you know so how much problems we had last season breaking teams down um all right you know so the absence of fans inside stadia contributes to that and the atmosphere was great it was like really really good to be back in there 
an awful lot of very emotional people walking down Goodison Road on uh, on Saturday lunchtime waiting to get into the ground. But equally, the changes that the manager made during the game, and it was good just to see a little bit of directness in Everson's play. Players getting into wide positions and not prevaricating or slowing or checking back, just pinging crosses over straight away. And I know we said that last week that we expected that to happen because Dominic Calvert-Lewin, you know, that's his, his great strength. You know, why wouldn't you play to that, you know, centre-forward's great strengths? And equally, Richarlison is very, very good in the air as well. So you've got players like that. So play to those strengths. But it was, it was quite refreshing to see. There was one in the second half where Damari Gray, you know, sort of got to the touchline and just banged one over straight away. And it was, you know, it was almost like a flashback to like 1970s, 1980s football. And it was, it was good to see. You know, so all in all, it was a very, very good return uh, to Goodison Park. Uh, the manager, you know, so definitely influenced the outcome of the game. His new signings, you know, so all have varying degrees of influence on the match. So all in all, it was great. You know, so we move on to a different challenge again this weekend. But, you know, first box ticked, you know, so a home win, you know, so crowd, you know, leaving relatively satisfied and everybody quite happy. Phil, that brings us uh, quite nicely on to Damari Gray, making his, his competitive debut alongside Andros Townsend. And this time last season, we were... Looking out for, you know, the big names of Hammers, Rodriguez and Allen and waiting for the arrival a few weeks later of Ben Godfrey. You know, all, all players that arrived with big reputations or for big fees. This this time it's not so the case, but was you impressed with the, the first Premier League sighting of, of them both? Yeah, impossible not to be really. Look, they, they weren't sort of, we're not going to over-egg their performance, but it was very positive. And as Preno said, both were just direct they got the ball they wanted something to happen andros sounds it almost literally seems and it's not it's not an exaggeration it does feel that if he gets the ball within the final sort of third final quarter of the pitch his only thought is to cross the ball into the box that is literally all that's in his head i've got no problem with that i'm actually fully behind it because as preno said it, it's, a, it's a, re- a return to a more direct on the front foot style of play we've got dominic in the box we've got richardson both really good in the air and there's nothing worse than being at Goodison when the team is ponderous and you know tapping the ball backwards, sideways, forward, backwards. Get it in the box, put the opposition under pressure, and make stuff happen. So I, you know, really positive from Andros in that respect. You know, more to come from him, I'm sure. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a perfect debut, but you know, an assist as well. But uh, and Damari again, quick. Everything we saw in pre-season, effectively from from Gray, there was no. There was no false dawn, so to speak, in pre-season. What we saw in the summer in America and at Old Trafford um, was was pretty much what he he, he did on, on Saturday. Got the ball, turned forward, tried to get at defenders, tried to make things happen. Again, by no means a 10 out of 10 performance, but a very positive and encouraging performance. And as Preno mentioned, a couple of crosses in the second half there where he switched to the left flank. Just just positive, just putting the opposition under pressure. Because how many opponents came to Goodison last season and felt no pressure? Because, you know, the number of shots on target in the games with Leeds, West Ham, Newcastle, Fulham was was appalling, wasn't it? It was yeah. probably those four games, probably less than 20 shots on target, probably less than 15. I mean, I'll have to look, won't we, but to check. But, you know, Saturday was a complete about turn, wasn't it? And, you know, the manager saying... He wanted Decore to get further forward. Well, there you go. There's the, the, the proof in the pudding already. You know, he was further forward more than, than he had been for long spells last season. So, look, I appreciate that there are there are more sophisticated ways of playing and, 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 and you know, 
with better players, you would want to play perhaps differently. But with what Everton have got, where we are at the moment, um, it does appear, again, early days, but it does appear that, that Andros and Damari are very smart additions because they do what, they, uh, what it says on the tin. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Phil, we'll, we'll touch on transfers a, a, a little bit later, but just to quickly stick with you, I think it was an assist for Townsend, an assist and a goal for Richarlison, uh, an assist for Awobi, who, who looked right off the bench, and Damari Gray had a good game as well. Everton still seemingly holding interest in, in Dwight McNeil. Do you, do you feel the squad still needs a, another winger, even after Saturday's performance? Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think anybody was getting carried away with Saturday, it was a very good start for Rafa, very good start for the players, but the squad yeah. needs needs additions. Uh Rafa likes Dwight McNeil, but what are we now? Less than two weeks to go. As far as we as far as we know at this point, as we talk, no no bids gone in. And I think everybody's well aware of of Everton's need to get rid of players before they can start thinking about seriously bringing players in. So um it looks difficult at this stage, but of course, everybody knows what a final seven days of a transfer window in the summer can look like. So, um, yeah, uh, and obviously Sean Longstaff as well, still on the radar. So I think those are two players that he would like to add to the squad if possible. But yeah, there's a bit of a log jam at the moment. Gray and Townsend then, Adam, do you want to throw a few more names out there for who caught your eye on Saturday? I mean, it was the perfect return, I would also say, for... Richarlison, the club mm. placed a lot of faith in him to, to go and win his gold medal at the Olympics, which, you know, I think everyone's seen now the, the, the pictures of Finch Farm when he returned. Obviously, very proud, as he should be, of his of his exploits there. Yeah. I think that was a nice way to mark his comeback, wasn't it? 100%. And, you know, it was really interesting with Richarlison. In the days leading up to the game, I just just didn't think that Richarlison would be involved at all. I was, I was quite... He has his red ball, doesn't he? Yeah, I was, I, he just loves footy. <laughs> he just loves getting out there and having a game of footy. Like, I was surprised to see him at Finch Farm when he was. I was surprised to see Rafa in his press conference say he was available when he was. And then I was very surprised to see him starting the game as well. And it, 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 it was almost a game of two halves for Richarlison as well. Like In the first half, I don't think, I don't think he played badly, but he had one of those performances that I think we've all seen from Richarlison, perhaps more so over the last year than uh, than any other time. But there are those games that you see from Richarlison and you can see him in those first like 20 odd minutes and you think to yourself, this is going to be a game which just kind, kind of passes him by. He's going to be on the periphery of things. He was trying to make things happen. Uh, but you know, the most notable thing that he did in that first half was that pretty, uh, pretty awful dive inside the box, which quite rightly got him Quite right, we got him a booking, and you know, hopefully he, he he can cut that cut that kind of thing out of his game quite soon. But he was probably one of the most changed players after after the halftime interval, and it was really good for him to get on on the on the end of Andros Townsend's headed into the box and get himself that early goal in that second half because that really seemed to you know give him that give him that real boost. You know, he was playing off off the shoulder of Calvert Lewin at that point, and he was like, right, I, I've I've got these centre backs here. These are these are mine. I can make I can make things happen here. And he was a, he was a real catalyst for that. So it was really good to see him uh, performing in that way. And I think you know the the other one who really caught my eye was great to be honest because I think it was interesting for me to see him starting as a number ten. I, mean, I know we've seen him play through the middle in pre season, but you know playing as a, a like an out and out number ten almost as it as he was uh, in the first half against Southampton this weekend. I don't think we've really seen that yet, but 
if his dedication and desire was on show right from the start. I think yeah. he, he was. He's a player with something to prove, isn't he? After his, you know, the rocky way, I would say, that his Leicester spell ended and, you know, pretty indifferent time in Germany. You know, only a brief period of the time, of course, but didn't really get his chance to really show what he could do. This is his real platform to really excel and show his potential once again. And I think he, he started off on a fantastic footing because, you know, starting central at the weekend where he was running those channels, that ball that he put in in the first half to Calvert-Lewin, which was maybe just a tiny bit too high for him. You know, if that had been just an inch or so lower, Calvert-Lewin's burying that in the first half. And, you know, Calvert-Lewin will thrive off crosses like that. And then as Phil quite rightly said in the second half as well, he was causing havoc down that left flank. Uh, once he moved reeking, over the... Reeking havoc. <laughs> <laughs> Some, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I just thought he was, that was a really impressive performance. You know, Richarlison's was a really impressive performance. I know we're going to talk a little bit more about Decore as well. He was he was really impressive to me as well. So, you know, it, there's, a, there's a lot of pos- positive aspects that we can take from this performance, isn't there? You know, and as, as Phil rightly says, you know, it's not... It's not something to get carried away with. It is, you know, only the first home game of the season. There'll be tougher tests uh, in the coming weeks, but you know, it, it was just about getting those three points, isn't it, and starting off on the po- in a positive manner. And you know, we've managed to do that, so you can only look at that as you know a really good thing. For, for someone like me who still hasn't seen too too much of Green and Evan Shade, if we put Richarlison at one end of the spectrum with his kind of all action work rate and maybe a, a Hannes on the other end, where, do, where does Gray rank in his kind of Willingness to get back and maybe do do the dirty stuff. I'd say, but he was quite close to Richardson. I mean, obviously, we've we've not really seen all that much of him ourselves, have we? You know, we've got our, our fleeting glimpses. You know, we'd all like to forget that Manchester United <laughs> game, I, I suppose. But uh, from from what he showed against Southampton, that that's easily the most I've seen him play in an Everton shirt so far. And he was he was more than willing to work hard. There was one one particular moment where you know I, I think it was when. It was 1-1 and he was down in the corner by the Gladys Street and he ended up winning us a corner just from, you know, absolute sheer tenacity and like closing down, closing down the fullback, making sure he won the ball back before, you know, trying to beat him and, you know, eventually winning a corner off it. And the Everton fans, you know, stood up and, you know, they were roaring and, you know, really appreciating that sort of hard work. And you know, if he can, if he can keep this up, obviously, as I say, he's, he's someone with a point to prove. So hopefully he can keep this up for, you know, the, the coming weeks and a few months, and you know, even if Everton do end up signing another winger, hopefully he, he'll see this as you know, all right, well, I've got to fight for my place even more now. I've got to put in this effort even more over the next few weeks. So fingers crossed, uh, he's he started off on the right foot there. Fingers crossed, he can uh, he can continue to build on that over the next couple of months. Preno, it's it is the the Royal Blue podcast, so it probably wouldn't be a, another episode without us having a a little negative to touch on. Sure. I know. I know Gav Butland isn't here, so it might, it might not be as bad as usual, but he's kind of always divided opinion. Seemingly, he goes through spells with his form and does very much seem to be a, a confidence player in a way, but Michael Keane did not cover himself in glory for that opening goal. If Ben Godfrey is available for the weekend, he probably hasn't uh, put his front foot forward to, to keep his place in the team. What, what do you think the... The next few weeks, what, what's the future holding for, for Michael Keane at this stage under Rafa Benitez? 
I, I don't know. I think that was a, a one-off from Michael Keane and Aberration. To be honest, both central defenders uh, were poor in that first half, didn't cover themselves in glory. Yeah. Um, I was I, I was all for Yerry Mina coming on at half-time, <laughs> having witnessed, you know, Adam Alan Armstrong, who was a you know, unproven Premier League striker, you know, bullying them, basically. Um, yes, you know, so Rafa resisted that temptation, as you said earlier, he switched them, you know, switched sides. And so Michael Keane was getting the opportunity to be more dominant in the air. Mason Holgate was uh, doing more things on the floor. But all in all, I think, you know, the pair of them have got an awful lot of work to do you know, to try and convince the manager that, you know, they are the answer to his defensive issues and defensive problems. Because Ben Godfrey, you know, as we, as we know, was outstanding last season. And you'd imagine when he's available, he's going to come straight back in again. There are a couple of little, you know, sort of issues. I'm not going to, you know, dwell on them too, you know, so massively because it was a very, very positive um, result and performance ultimately, as predicted on Friday when I said that we're going to win 3-0 and I was confident it was going to be a resounding home win. All right, you know, I wasn't banking on a centre-half, like rolling one into a striker's path, but that apart, there were a couple of little things that, you know, so weren't absolutely right. I mean, Luca Dean, I was surprised at how conservative he was in his play generally. I mean, he's normally one of our most dangerous attacking outlets. He's, in, you know, encouraged to get forward overlap and get crosses in which he does magnificently and whether it was by design whether he was told to you know hold his position a bit more or you know whether he just was having a quiet game I don't know I was surprised to see him playing as deeply as he did and uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin who you know uh, scored the goal but you know generally I thought looked like he's he's got a few weeks yet you know to get actually up to the the marauding Dominic Calvert-Lewin that we actually saw at the beginning of last season uh, but that apart, I mean, the, the negatives were far outweighed by the uh, the positives. And it's also quite good hearing the manager, you know, so just the, the, the motivational techniques that he uses. That's some of the uh, the interviews he gave after the game. And uh, people were asking about Richarlison. And he said, that, well, yeah, you know, we actually said to him, OK, you know, so you really enjoyed your experience. You've got your gold medal. Now get out there and score as a goal, uh, which obviously he did and created one. And then obviously... Um, you know, so there was the absolutely sensational goal from uh, Decore. What a wonderful strike that was. And yet Benitez afterwards said to him, uh, you're capable of doing more. I want, was it, more than five goals from you this season? Which is great just to see, you know, so a little bit of onus and a bit of responsibility put on, you know, so players' heads. So all in all, you know, the, the positives definitely, you know, so outweigh the negatives. But we know the manager wasn't satisfied. You know, he will want to work really, really hard on the things that went wrong this week. And we know that he's good at doing that. I mean, he was even passing instructions out like in the seconds before kickoff. Quite what he was saying to Dominic Calvert-Lewin a few seconds before kickoff, I have no idea. Because, you know, all the messages that he would want to get into his head were surely there already. Whether it was just a little, come on, Dom, you know, so get us a goal, I don't know. But, you know, he's a very, very front foot manager. You know, he wants to try and influence things all the time. So all in all, it was good. Southampton weren't great. Yeah, we know that. But, you know, let's focus on the positives. Gavin's not here. Come on, it's a very, very good result. And we scored three goals at home. So that'll, that'll do for most of us. It is interesting to think about, though, Phil, and it, it will play out across the season. But, you know, when you look at look back to last term, Carlo started to rotate his goalkeepers, for example, and, and that ends up bringing the best out of Jordan Pickford right through that phenomenal, phenomenal Euros. They had sound like Roberto Martinez there. <laughs> um, Carlo also kind of kept his back four happy by rotating uh, Mina, Keane, Godfrey and Holgate quite frequently. It, is that the is that what you want from, from your central, central two or three, whoever are playing? Would you prefer to see Rafa just go with the two who are most informed? Do you think that brings 
you know, the best out of people. You know, we've still got four very good centre-backs who can potentially push each other. But, you know, if you look back across Rafa's management history, especially at Liverpool, he does he does have a history of, of rotation. What, what, what's your gut feeling that we'll, that we'll see this season? I, th- I think we might see rotation. I think ultimately it's in it's in the in the end result, isn't it? If the if the rotation brings the best out of the players, you know, keeps them hungry and and and, and fresh, and you know, if it's a case of horses for courses, and Rafa thinks it's meaner and keen for this game because you know we'll need to win the aerial battle because we're playing Burnley or whatever, then fine. It's just it's just whether or not they're all of a similar level and can all maintain that, you know. And so, you know, unfortunately, the two centre halves who were picked on on Saturday didn't make the best of starts. And unfortunately for Michael Keane, you know, it, it actually wasn't a, a one-off, was it? Because he ended last season by being caught out at City, didn't he? Dribbling, and then that cost us that cost us a goal, didn't it? So, it's not a great period for him. Hopefully, he can bounce back because I think you said Sam before when you were asking um, Preno the question, he's a confidence player and. Uh, uh, if confidence players in defence are not what you want, really, you don't want a confident centre half. You want a, a, a consistent centre half. So, because mm-hmm. because we know with Michael, when he's consistent and confident and happy, he can deliver week on week. But it's when he has these wobbles that that, that bring about concern. Obviously, we don't know if Ben Ben Godfrey's going to be available. Um, I would imagine it's doubtful, but we'll see. Um, and obviously, Mina. He's back, and he, he was back sort of the week before the season. But the manager obviously chose to go with 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 Holgate. So interesting to see what he thinks about Mina. Really, we'll find out in the next week or so, won't we? Um, I, I've got no problem with rotation. I think I think traditionally maybe it's, a, it's it was something in English football that was frowned upon, but I think we're so used to it now. But ultimately, if it keeps the right players motivated and, and, and nobody's resting on their laurels, and, and it allows a manager. He's got four centre halves in the squad, and it allows him the options to play different centre halves for different games to get the the best result. Then, then fine, no problem with that at all. And as you say, we saw it with the goalkeeper last season, and it worked. It worked really well for for Jordan and, and Everton. Put your neck on the line, Phil. Who can you see starting against Leeds? Well, obviously, it all hinges on um... if Godfrey was available. Do you think he comes straight back in? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, 100%. without question. Yeah, without question. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if, if, if we go back to Ellen Road last season, Godfrey and Mina played, didn't they, at centre-half, and they were really, really good together. Um, yeah. And Robin I think... Another game as well. What, what's Begovic doing? <laughs> 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 um, my, obviously, Rafa will be all over this, of course, and then they'll be doing it this week. But my slight concern is, given the way that Southampton's front two pressed Mason and Keane so well and gave them so much trouble... We're going to Leeds, and Leeds just run and run and run. So th- there's the question mark over whether Rafa sticks with with Michael and Mason. Of course, if he, if he has a, has a choice, but be, I would be concerned that, that Southampton got at them so well that Leeds would be licking their lips if the if the same two players were picked um, for the weekend. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Phil, I'll, I'll just quickly stick with you to, to fill people in who, who aren't on social media this week. Hannes Rodriguez first posted a tweet uh, with a selfie in Spanish, with a caption in Spanish, Charlie, which translates as never stop believing, which happens to be the same motto as Atletico Madrid and stirred a lot of transfer gossip 
about Hamed and a move back to Spain. Um, but he did eventually speak out again on Twitch. Seemingly loves a Twitch session, doesn't he? Yeah. I didn't know that this was the motto of the team. It was a total coincidence. I am only put a personal message. I did not say that I'm going to the club or for something. It's been used for the whole day. I'm not related to this club. If I go to a club, I do not say or give signals. I speak it when it's already a fact. For the personal, those who put things, you have to get a little better information. Uh, a strange kind of saga uh, uh, about around Hammers this summer. Do, do you now think it, it's just something that needs to get sorted as, as soon as possible? But it, in that sense, it very much feels like something that could rumble on into the final few days of the window. Yeah, I, I suspect it will do. I, there's nothing so far as as we speak. Nothing. None of the information has said that anything is remotely close. Um, and early in the summer, when it became apparent that Rafa had told Hammers that he was free to leave, um, you know, based on the the, the belief that a, a suitable offer would be would be made, um, it, it was already understood at that point that it was going to be very difficult to shift Hammers purely because of his his wage level. Um, and look, there is obviously, and as we've written and spoken about already on the pod, there is this kind of traffic jam in the transfer system anyway. There's just a lot of players on big money at a lot of big clubs who were available, probably on freeze or for very low transfer fees, but they just can't be shifted at the moment. But obviously, the first two or three games of the season always focus minds, always really bring things to a head, don't mean the transfer market. So, look... Hammers has been told he can go. He doesn't want to spend the season sat on the bench uh, or as a bit part player. He will want to go and find a club to play. Rafa is happy for him to leave. That is the perfect solution for for the, for the two parties, uh, and I hope hopefully a solution can be found. But as I said, it's it's not an easy transfer to, to, to make happen. What can you see the future holding for Hammers Rodriguez, Adam? If he does end up staying at Everton, it, it does pose a an interesting question of where he fits for Rafa Benitez. It's, it just strikes me as a bit of a risk, doesn't it, from from Rafa and Everton to be saying something like that to to a player like Hamas, because you know, like I know he is somebody who caused a, a little bit of debate for his performances last season, and you know the fact that he did miss a fair fair section of games through various injuries and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, he was still quite clearly one of Everton's best players last season. He was he had such an effect on so many big games last season that you know it 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 just strikes me as a little bit strange that you'd be heading into uh such an important campaign with such a good player on your books and you'd be saying to him so early on, right, you you essentially don't you you don't really fit into my plans all that much. If we get the right offer you can go. And you know, with with what Phil's saying there as well, it, it's not. It shouldn't be a surprise to us that the transfer window is in the state of flux that it's in. And you know, with, with our financial fair play situation, I, I suppose it's it's very much the fact that we can't really get a replacement in for Hammers until Hammers yeah. goes, because we need his. We need to know what how much wages we're going to be able to offer a, a certain player, how much we can spend on them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we're we're left in a, this weird little. State, state of limbo where, as Phil says, there's not really that much concrete interest in Hamas Rodriguez at the minute. He's off on Twitch making, you know, the these sort of cryptic comments which are, you know, frustrating fans a little bit. And you can see why they are frustrating fans somewhat. But, you know, I, I, I think it falls down to the this the decision that the club's made. And I can understand why Hamas is 
a little bit frustrated, really. I mean, obviously, he's, he's, he's in a situation now where he's isolating through COVID anyway, so he can't really come and train with the club regardless. So it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, when he's you know, back in training and back available again. Is he going to be able to play for the Huddersfield game or for the Brighton game at the end of this month? Is he still going to be contracted to Everton? By the time those games come around, I think they, those are some really big questions to be answered, I, I suppose. But it's just a it's just a really, really strange situation that the club have played themselves in, uh, in terms of James Rodriguez. And I, I just don't see... I don't see how there's going to be any sort of quick resolution to this at the minute because, you know, as, as Phil says, there's not, there's, there doesn't seem to be any any sort of exit strategy for for Hammers as things stand. So, but if he stays at Everton this season, then surely he's got to play a, a pretty crucial part because yeah. you know he's a he's a fantastic footballer. You know, we we were saying throughout last season, he's probably in terms of sheer quality, he's the best footballer that Everton have had in a generation. He's, he's an absolutely world-class talent that without Carlo Ancelotti, Everton wouldn't have been able to attract in the first place. So why wouldn't you use a player of that quality uh, you know, as much as you can throughout the season? So, you know, if, if it comes to if it comes to the fact that Hamez is still here on the 1st of September, it, it, might, it might be a case that Rafa maybe has to swallow his pride a little bit in some respects and say, well, look, for, for this game, this game against, you know, these Big sort of sides. We're going to need as much quality as we can get. Hammers, you're you, you're going to need to play. So it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic would potentially work out if that was the case in the future. Preno for a, a world class player who has twelve months remaining on his contract, unless the option was triggered. Is it the worst thing in the world if he doesn't go? If Rafa can get a tune out of him as Adam's saying it doesn't sound that bad a, a plan B for Everton to have someone like that playing in the squad but it probably all kind of sits on whether or not he can we would need him to be fitter a lot more times this season than he was last time I'd love to see him but at the club I've made no secret of the fact that you know so I'm a fan of his I'm a fan of a footballer of his quality uh, and I want to see him still at the football club beyond September the first. You know, so able to contribute. I mean, I know what Rafa's trying to do. You know, with his uh, with his squad, he wants more dynamism. He wants more uh, energy, if you like. You know, some more pressing from the uh, you know the front three or four, which is what Gray and Townsend will will introduce. Uh, but you know, Hamas wasn't lazy last season. You know, we didn't see a player that was like you know going through the motions. You know, he was working up and down the pitch. He was asked you know so to do a particular job, and he did it. And he did gild his performances with lots and lots of moments of absolute you know top quality. So absolutely not against the idea of seeing him on a subs bench. Say um, you know so being brought on the last twenty minutes of a game, it's very very tight to see if he can introduce things. Uh, sorry, to see if he can influence things. Is that underplaying the qualities of a footballer, you know, sort of his stature? Maybe it is. I just hope that we don't end up in this, you know, sort of player against the club situation, you know, for argument's sake that he's, he's suddenly thrown in against Huddersfield next Tuesday, not having figured at all, you know, in the first two games of the season. And I know, you know, that that's a COVID situation rather than not being selected, but you could argue that that, that COVID isolation period also was quite convenient uh, for the manager that didn't want to use him and wanted to, you know, sort of move him on to try and save the wages. I can see things from both points of view, but 
I'd also, I'd like to see him at the football club still. And you know, having a player of his quality in the squad isn't going to do us any harm, surely. Who knows what's going to happen down the line in terms of injuries and suspensions and stuff. So, yeah, I understand why we want to free those wages up, which is significant. Uh, I want to try and bring in players that the manager you know, is, is comfortable with. But equally, you can't really turn your back on players of, you know, introduced Stardust into a game like he can, and he did on a number of occasions last season, and just ignore them. So I hope they can come to some kind of compromise, and I just hope it doesn't come messy. But I'm not wildly confident that that will be the case. You know, I think that, you know, so that there could be a few more social media posts and a few more, you know, sort of utterings from people before this is completely resolved one way or the other. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. In two weeks' time, we will wake up, and for better or for worse, the transfer window will be closed once again. What do you think over the next two weeks? What are the key things that Everton must do? I'd imagine Hannes Rodriguez and Moise Keane's name figure pretty high on that list before potentially he can swing back to incomings. Yeah, I, th- I think, as I said, finding a solution the Hamis situation and it's not ideal as, as Pernell's articulated there it's it, it's it's not but the manager's made his feelings clear he doesn't feel he, he wants to plan for a season with him you know however talented he is etc so um, a solution to that would be um, would be needed um, Moise Keane's situation is such a tricky one because there are not a, a, a big line of clubs looking to sign him at the moment Um whether or not that changes in the next 10, 11 days or so, um, Everton will hope that's the case because, of course, they were banking on the on the proceeds of, of his sale to PSG and, and reinvesting it in the squad. Um, so that's damn, an issue. Damn that Lionel Messi. Damn him. <laughs> um, they've, they've taken a risk on some this uh, this Messi. <laughs> um, so that's created an issue. And also what I think... Look, we don't know how Moyes will react or would react if not if nothing happens and he stays at the football club. But obviously, the way Rafa's speaking already and has spoken suggests that he's fearful that Moyes may not react particularly positively if he doesn't get a move uh, and has to play second fiddle to Dominic or whatever the season. So whether or not the football club have to soften their stance and actually say, close to the de- deadline day, we're prepared to loan him. Um, and that might free up some wages to then say to Rafa, right, well, you can go and get somebody in alone. So there needs to be a solution there because what we don't want and, and, and not healthy for everybody involved is to have Moise Keane at the football club when he doesn't want to be and him not be happy and not giving what we've seen he can do and produce. Um, and then the incomings has got to be a right back. I thought Seamus had an okay game. Um on Saturday, typical sort of Seamus, but look, and it's no criticism of Seamus, but we need a new right back. We need a, a younger, you know, you know. I think there was a couple of moments in the first half where Seamus got the ball and the Seamus of 2013, 14, 15 would have knocked it past the fullback or the winger and tried him for pace. But he's, he's, he's almost as if he's in his head now. He's thinking, I can't get past, I can't get beyond. I'm going to have to check back, play inside. So we need a bit more... He needs support and we need more dynamism on that side. So a solution, albeit it'll probably be a temporary solution because it doesn't look like we're going to sign anybody permanently to the right-back situation. Um, And hopefully, whatever else the manager wants, long staff, that may be in midfield, 
McNeil looks difficult, but again, he's somebody the manager wants on the wing. That would be ideal, but it all really hinges on on, on moving players out. Delph's been told he can go, but again, a fairly high earner, we believe, at the football club. Who's taking Fabian? Difficult. Um, yeah, tricky. Very tricky and, and not really a great deal of time, but it's going to be... Uh, I suspect it's going to be a very frantic final uh, final few days, and certainly post Brighton on the twenty eighth. I think it could be uh, could be uh, chaotic. I know it's probably not what people want to hear, Phil, but could you very much now see a scenario in which uh, don't this the right word for it, but a kind of stopgap right back is signed, someone on a, sh- a short term alone, yeah, something like that? Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. I think that's I'm almost. I wouldn't say certain, but that's the way the wind's blowing, and that's the noises that that are coming out of the club that it would have to be short term at this point. A because as it stands, the finances maybe aren't there. You know, within the realms of of you know, the financial regulations, that making it difficult at this point. Plus availability option, yeah, I, th- I think I think loan would seem very plausible and, and realistic at this point. Yeah. Cuco Martina, if you're listening, <laughs> get your phone on loud, son. Yeah, get your Gibril. back in the squad. Get yourself Gibril. sorted. Gibril, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Get hey. your socks on. Get your socks Any- sorted and you're back in the squad. If anybody can cross a football, it's Mr. Sadibi, let me tell you that. <laughs> yeah, just a pity about everything else. <laughs> like being able to position yourself at right back. <laughs> yeah, what wasn't his strongest point, was it? But uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd look, I, I, I'd like Sadibi and at the time, pre-COVID, 13 million quid didn't seem a king's ransom to me, but then the pandemic changed everything, didn't it? And uh, yeah. yeah, he was no Adam, longer really a viable option. Two weeks ago, what would your, in terms of incomings, let's say if, if, if things can happen for the club, mm-hmm. what would you, would you now, because of the, the position that we're in, in terms of time in the window, as Phil's saying, is right back, the key for you or do you still harbour hopes maybe for another winger a forward even a central midfielder yeah right I think right back still sticks out to me what I, I was saying at the start of the window I think that right back should be our priority and I think you know there's a lot of Everton fans who've been saying this for numerous years now it, it, like Everton should have been looking for this long-term replacement for Seamus Coleman and you know it's obviously been tricky over the last few years to to try and find that, but at the start of the summer, it's it seemed as if everything was sort of falling into place that this was going to be the right summer for it. And then you know, Carlo Ancelotti left, and you know, all all manner of things happened that kind of kind of threw things off in the air again, didn't it? But we've we've still got to this point of the of the window, and Everton still haven't signed a right back. And you know, I, I would be very, you know, if we were to go into the coming well few months, let's say up until the January window. Uh, at the very least, with uh, just Seamus Coleman, and then you know potentially John Joe Kenny if he if he was to stay, who knows whether he's going to secure himself a move away. You know, if we like, if not, then we'd have what Ben Godfrey as our as our backup right back essentially, or or Mason Holgate. You know, that would that wouldn't fill me with joy to, to be honest. I do I do think I do think that that strikes me as the position that we're certainly missing. Uh, bodies to be honest and any, yeah. any sort of strength in depth so you know if we were even if we were to try and sign you know it's a, a backup right back from somewhere else in the Premier League you know there's you know Diogo Dallo or Brandon Williams from Manchester United I know Brandon Williams is usually a left back but he can play right back as well so I wouldn't I be opposed to that. Norwich isn't he is he 
I think so, yeah. Yeah. All right, okay. Well, that's scuffing sorry your dreams. To, <laughs> sorry to ruin that one. Dallow still works, though. I think still works. Like, Diogo Dallow, I think he, he, I'd, I'd be fine with him for a season. You know, I don't think he's a long-term solution at all. But, you know, him challenging Seamus Coleman for a season, yeah. I'd be all right with that. Uh, the, the other one that I that I just keep thinking about, and I'm, I'm, I don't, by any means, don't think I, I want Everton to be going for this at all, but Hector Bellerin's situation at Arsenal just fills me with a or oh, like he, he he seems like somebody that you know somebody someone's gonna post Davies Calvert Lewin Bellerin <laughs> there will be some rascal clobber there telling you it just strikes me as somebody like he, he, someone's gonna swoop for him before the end of the window surely and um, you know if if Everton do get to you know the closing stages of the window and we still need someone on loan I, I, I could see that happening and I don't I don't want it to but I could see that happening for some reason. I'd be quite happy with Bellerin. You think? Oh, fast, isn't he? I've never seen him kick a footy for three years. Well, I don't think Crossens is one of his best attributes, <laughs> to be honest. So we might need to leave Crossens <laughs> to someone else. But you know, aside, aside from a right back, you know, I, I would suggest that some sort of ball carrying midfielder is perhaps uh, something that probably should be high on the agenda. I've not really seen a lot of Sean Longstaff. Uh, I'm not sure whether he falls into that category very much. Yeah. Uh, but you know any sort of ball carrier midfielder. I know we've got Gabbana to still come back into that area of the pitch, and I think we're yet to see what kind of what kind of qualities he can bring to the Premier League. Maybe he can be that player. I'm yeah. not sure, but you know there's still somebody. There's still a gap in there. I think somebody you can you know link up the defence and the tap through the centre of the pitch. I know we've got uh, a bit of quality on the wings now, uh, and then. You know, if, if, if there was to be a solution to the to the Moyes Keane situation, I think a, I think another striker is is going to be necessary, isn't it? You know, I think you know, Broad, Broadhead was was Broadhead on the bench again uh, this this weekend. Well, yeah, man, that's nice. Yeah, yeah uh, well, he's right. gone gone on loan now to, as need to uh, to Sunderland, so <laughs> we won't even have we won't even have Broadhead to, to call upon in terms of strikers. You know, our, our young striking option would be well. Until Ellis Sims is fit again, which we're expecting mid mid September, I think it is that he's meant to be uh, coming back from his injury. But you know he won't be match fit until October. So until then, our young striking option would probably be Lewis Dobbin, wouldn't it? Yeah. You know, and, and as exciting a player he is, you know wh- whether he's ready for the step up to the Premier League or not yet is probably probably up in the air. So you know a- again we'd be looking at going into a season with just Richarlison and Dominic Calvert Lewin as our as our striking options if. Moise Keane were to find a solution to his future. So I think a backup striker, one that will probably play a few more minutes than Josh Keane did last <laughs> season, would be a, would be quite preferable as well. But yeah, as I say, right back is is just a, an absolute must. We can't go into next season without signing another right, uh, right back, I don't think. Well, of course, I'm forget, sorry, I'm just saying we're forgetting Jenk. Still injured, we think. We're not sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Get him back. Get him back. You know, look, you know, no, no update as it stands. I have asked the club for uh, for an update on on Jake's progress, but last we heard, it was looking like the autumn. So, but I don't think he, I don't think he figures in the manager's plans. Put it that way. No. Crenham, final word with you then. If if the transfer window did slam shut, and just say we still had Fa- Fabian Delph, we still had John Joe Kenny as the backup right back. No one came in for Moise Keane. And no one ends up coming in for Hannes Rodriguez. The squad stayed exactly the same. Would would that concern you? Do you, do you think a couple of additions are paramount at this stage? 
It, it, it wouldn't. Yeah, it would concern me because you know the manager has made his uh, his position perfectly clear on yeah. uh, the futures of a number of those players, and he then is left in a situation whereby he's got players that he clearly doesn't particularly fancy, and yet they're in the squad still. And it makes you wonder about you know what kind of influence they can have you know so on the other players in the squad, given the fact that they're clearly unhappy at the you know so the cards that they've been dealt. Um, so yeah, it would be a concern. I don't think it will happen. Yeah, you know, but. I think the ideal situation is that, you know, if somebody does take Hammers and wants to pay his wages, if somebody does pay a fee for Moise Keane, uh, but will that happen in the real world? I mean, uh, Moise Keane, you know, so like you say, that Lionel Messi situation just like, you know, sort of wrecked that one totally. Uh, so it does worry me a little bit. But, you know, transfer windows have a habit of changing very, very quickly indeed, especially in the space of 48 hours. And uh, whilst we might not see a great deal happening in the next seven days or so, I think, uh, you know, so once that Brighton game is out there, well, yeah, it will be absolute mayhem for a few days. So, yeah, Phil, all your leaves cancelled for a few days. Uh, it's going to be like a, a lively 48, 72 hours. Um, let's just hope it doesn't come to that. You know, so let's hope that the manager, you know, so it does end up with a squad that he's comfortable with, happy with, and has got the, uh, you know, the qualities in that, you know, he, he wants. I mean, the people that he's brought into the squad already have added things to the squad that weren't already there in terms of width, in terms of pace. There are obviously other elements that he wants to bring into it as well. So, you know, it's not absolutely paramount, but yeah, it would be a little bit concerning, you know, so if it doesn't happen, if we don't get the change that the manager wants. So let's keep our fingers crossed that's not the case. And we do have a decent transfer window. And when we won it about two years ago, didn't we? Transfer window. So let's uh, let's hope we have another successful one. Just before we sign off, Dave, I've I've heard there's a uh, there's a brand new paper book, paperback book out <laughs> by a gentleman called Dave Prentice named a grand old team to report. Would you uh, encourage people to buy it? As luck would have it, I've got one just right in front of me. Actually, I've got, I've got two, three, I've got loads of them here. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, obviously it's the, the paperback version of the uh, the very, very successful best-selling hardback, which is still number one Everton book on Amazon, 4.7 out of five stars. Much better than the email I got from some guy this week saying it was unreadable and the worst thing he'd ever read. That that was the uh, the, ex the, the exception. I've had a couple. It's a bad that, that, was, that, that was the exception which proved the rule. I'm happy to say. No, I mean it's uh, it's it's exactly the same, but just like a, a couple of little uh, you know sort of tidbits sort of added to it. Uh, but Kevin Ratcliffe, the most successful captain in Everton's history, described it as a must-read for Evertonians. That'll do for me. So yeah, it's uh, it's on sale in paperback now. So if you haven't already got a copy, you know, so give it a go. Well, thank you very much, lads, and for everyone listening, hopefully we will be back with a podcast later on this week with more good news about the Blues, maybe some transfer updates, and hopefully after Rafa Benitez has spoken in his pre-leads press conference, then we'll be back next week, hopefully discussing another three points for the Blues. Thank you very much as ever for listening. You can get involved on the Royal Blue Podcast group on Facebook if you'd like to interact with ourselves and other Blues, or I'm sure you can find us all quite easily on Twitter and slag Adam off for wanting to sign Hex Bellerin. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. We've been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.